On a mountaintop in the Egyptian desert, Moses met God. The voice of God spoke, the finger of God wrote, and when Moses' face all aglow descended that mountaintop carrying God's laws, he was met with an awful commotion demeaning and lewd celebrations of God's people dancing before their own hideous gods of gold. A few centuries later, on another mountaintop, this time in northern Israel, Elijah made a stand. Just a few years ago, we stood beside this giant statue of Elijah, and we rehearsed his story, a story of Elijah mocking and challenging the false gods and their priests on Mount Carmel. And standing there, we looked down to the brook called the Brook Kishon in the valley of Jezreel where they slaughtered all of those false prophets. A great victory followed in just a matter of hours by an exhausted Elijah begging God to take his life. And on another mountaintop in Israel, Jesus was transformed in stunning glory. The curtain parted just enough for us to glimpse his majesty and power Luke says, in dazzling white. And as Jesus and James and John and Peter descended that mountain, they were met face to face with a destructive, demeaning, foul force. A demon had seized a young man did everything he could to destroy him as a terrified father watched helplessly. I've just told you about three mountaintop experiences. We use that phrase, mountaintop, for the, for the peaks, the highlights in our life. Um, I don't know about your life, but in mine, the mountain peaks the mountaintop experiences are often followed by a low. <laughs> Maybe it's timely. I mentioned graduation, mountain peak experience. How come nobody wants to hire me? <laughs> Your first job, marriage, first baby, first promotion all highlights, and then you get down to reality of things, the, the spiritual battles and the victories all too often followed by intense lows. I've experienced both of them. And why it is this way, I, I cannot tell you, but that perhaps, perhaps God desires to wean us from those mountaintop experiences and bring, down, bring us down to, to where real life is transcendent moments, and humbling moments, but learning moments. I want you to turn with me this morning, if you have your Bibles or follow along on the screen this morning, to Mark chapter 9, 
We're going to look at an incident that happens following the account that Jesus had on the mountaintop experience. What happened when he came down? Mark tells us in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, and when they, that is Jesus and Peter and James and John, when they came down the mountain to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. <clears throat> and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, when the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the, the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, the demon came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I want to walk through this passage with you and just share some, some comments from Mark's writing. The scene is Jesus and these three disciples coming down from the mountain and there they see a verbal brawl going on. And you, you have to read down through the passageways. Mark doesn't tell us exactly what they're arguing about, but you read down through there and you begin to put the pieces together. And it's probably about the fact that the disciples, um, the father had brought this this boy to these disciples, the disciples had been given authority by Jesus before to cast out demons. And they had cast out demons before, but this one, it wasn't working. Now, the, the scribes, they're the, the people that, um, they're kind of put in charge of the law. They record the law and they, they are to teach the law. 
But they had come up to Jesus before, along with the Pharisees, and, and said, well, we would like a sign from heaven, and then, and then perhaps we'll believe you. We want a sign from heaven, and, and Jesus said, there'll be no sign given to you. It's a faithless generation. So now perhaps those same scribes, Mark doesn't say there's Pharisees there, but the scribes were arguing with the disciples, maybe making fun of them that they couldn't. When Jesus asked what was going on, it's the Father, it says, someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you. It's the Father that spoke up. And he described the, the horror of this demonic torment, this destruction. Um, I wonder if you know this morning that, delete, that the demons believe in God. Um, all you need to do is turn ahead further in the Scriptures to the book of James where James says, even the demons believe God and they shudder. In other words, James was addressing some people, you, you hear of God, you don't believe Him, and you're not even moved by it. The demons even shudder. I was reading a book this week that um, the author said, uh, not only the demons believe God, but he, but he said this, it kind of surprised me, but it's true. He said the demons are also Trinitarian. <laughs> the demons believe there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. When the demons saw Jesus um, they knew their time in this, of, of, of contorting this boy was over. They convulsed him. The Greek word says much. They, they contorted him much. There's an interesting uh, battle going on here in the book of Mark. Um, uh, interesting contrast. It is the demons, the spirit world that believes in Jesus it's the religious leaders who refuse to believe Him. The Father here apparently blames the disciples. I brought my son to you, He said to Jesus. You weren't here. You were up on the mountain. I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. They couldn't do it. He blamed the disciples. At which Jesus says, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Faithless generation. May I ask you, who do you think that Jesus was addressing right there? Faithless generation? Here are the options. The scribes, the Father, uh, the disciples, the crowd, the onlookers, how about all of the above? Oh, faithless generation, disciples, I've been with you, I've taught you, and, and still you have no, no faith to perform as with the power I gave you. Scribes, I've been, I've been teaching, and you who ought to know these things, you it's not that you can't, but that you refuse to believe. Um, Father, well, well, we'll address Jesus' words to him in just a moment. Faithless generation, bring him to me. And as they brought this young man 
to Jesus. I'm calling him a young man here because later Jesus asked how long he has, this has been happening, and the, man, and the father said since he was a child, so I take it he's grown up a bit with this. And by the way, um, Matthew, in giving us this account, says he had epileptic seizures. So we have kind of a, a, a challenge here because not all, epilepsy, all, not all people with epilepsy have satanic uh, attacks, and not all satanic attacks are epileptic, okay? But Jesus asked the Father a question that has stumped me. He said, how long has this been happening to him? Now, I would have anticipated that Jesus knew. <laughs> Why did he have to ask? Um, maybe Jesus was asking in order to let all those who were listening know how serious this was. Maybe he was asking the question because others had failed, not only the other disciples, but no doubt this father had taken this boy to many others who promised to cast out the demonic. Maybe Jesus was asking the question to inform those around how long this young man had been under demonic torture. Maybe, maybe Jesus was expressing compassion. There, I said it again. I hope you're not getting tired of that word. When Jesus approaches people, he is full of compassion. And he, he said, in essence, to the Father, how long has this been happening? I'm so sorry you have had to have this burden for so long. I care. And when he asked the question, the father said, well, it's from childhood. The, the demon has cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. And that's Satan's purpose. Satan's purpose is to kill and to destroy. But the father says, if you can do anything... Now, that's an answer of resignation. He had been around so many before who promised. Here's one more teacher, one more who claims to be a Messiah. Uh, I've, I've had him to others. If, if you can do anything, have at it. And Jesus said to him, If you can... All things are possible for one who believes. Now, there's a couple of ways that translations, different translations have taken this verse. Um, some of them say that Jesus was saying, referring back to his question, if you can, well, all things are possible for one who believes. Others say it goes like this, without a comma, if you can believe, all things are possible. I don't think it is... What do you mean, if you can? Who do you think I am? Jesus didn't act that way. Jesus wasn't full of arrogance, not at all. But he says to the Father, if you can, believe. This is all about belief. This whole story is about belief. It's about faith. The word belief, the word faith, trust in the New Testament, it's all the same word, belief and faith. Jesus had before said to them, 
oh, faithless generation. It wasn't just a catch-all word for you guys. It was faithless. You have refused to exercise faith. You have refused to believe who I am, though I've told you and though I've demonstrated to you. You've, you have refused to believe, you faithless generation. And now again, Jesus says to the Father, yes, I can. Do you believe? All things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm going to come back to that phrase in just a moment. Jesus saw the crowd gathering in, and rather than make this young man a spectacle, he, he right then and there delivered him of the demon, said to the demon, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. By the way, some people, uh, they said, how could Jesus talk to a deaf demon. He wouldn't hear him. It wasn't the demon that was deaf. He causes deaf and mute, okay? <sighs> and it seized him. It convulsed him terribly. It came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. So we have a question, what, did he really die or not? Well, the, the Scripture says he was like a corpse. Um, and Jesus healed him. Then Mark tells us the disciples and Jesus went off into a house. They, they were alone there, and the disciples said to Jesus, well, how come we couldn't do that? We tried. How come it failed this time? What's wrong? To which Jesus answered, this kind cannot be driven out with, by anything but prayer. Which is an interesting statement because as I read what happened, I didn't see that Jesus prayed. Did you notice? Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. The kind of prayer I think Jesus was talking about. I want you to focus with you this morning. I, I want you to describe a disciple of Jesus. I want you to ask, what, what disciplines must a disciple of Jesus master? What practices must she demonstrate? In other words... I want you to be asking yourself, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ by what my life displays? Or as I am discipling another person, what, what do I need to help them understand? What do I need to teach them? How do I need to bring them along? What do I need to demonstrate for them? First, Jesus' disciple walks by faith. You say, that's pretty kindergarten, Pastor Don. Yes, it is. It is. He walks by faith. And Paul made a statement in the book of Galatians to the, to the Galatian people have been led astray. He said, what, what do you mean? You started by faith and, and don't think you have to keep walking by faith? This, this passage, it's all about faith. You faithless generation, Jesus said. It's by faith. We begin by faith. We walk by faith. And by the way, it's not the quantity 
of faith, but the quality. It's not how much faith we have, but in whom. You and I get that mixed up sometimes. Sometimes we say, oh, if I just had more faith, like if we muster up, I've got to believe, I've got to believe, I've got to believe more and more and more. No, it's in whom you put your faith. I love the expression from this father, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Let me share with you a quote from John Calvin, the old reformer. This father declares that he believes and yet acknowledges himself to have unbelief. These two statements may appear to contradict each other, but there is none of us that does not experience both of them in himself. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and, and you say, well, I haven't or I don't know if I ever have trusted Jesus, really believed in Jesus to be my Savior. I don't know if I can muster up enough faith. You don't have to muster up enough faith. May I encourage you just sitting where you are, Lord, I'm... I want to believe in you. I want to believe this word about you. I want to believe who you are. I'm just not there yet. Help my unbelief. I want to believe. Maybe this morning you're a believer and you're facing a toughest situation of your life. I want to believe that God is going to work this out. He's going to take me through it. I'm not going to sit here and say to you, ever, if you have enough faith, then God will heal. Remember when Paul prayed? He said, I prayed three times that God would take that thorn in the flesh out of me. Man, I, I, I want to believe Paul prayed 300 times. But he said, I prayed three times, and my faith was sufficient to understand that God said, I want that to be a part of your life. I'm going to humble you through that. So I have faith not just to believe God can, but sometimes to believe that God will leave me with whatever that is because more than anything, He wants me close to Him. Secondly, describing a, a disciple, a disciple invests in prayer. Again, very kindergarten, kind of. What, what, I, what, I'm, what I believe that Jesus was saying here, He said to His disciples, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And if Jesus prayed, Mark sure didn't um, record it. He saw the crowd coming, and so he said to the mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And if you would ask me if I thought the disciples prayed when they tried to cast him out, I would say, mm, I, I would be dumbfounded if they didn't. I think they probably prayed. But what I'm, what I'm talking about, and I, and I think what Jesus meant was persistent prayer, um, a life of prayer. Persistent prayer builds up spiritual offense. It helps us storm Satan's strongholds, tear them down. 
But persistent prayer also builds up defense. Jesus said, you have two choices. You pray or you faint. Okay? I, I, he, he had a story. He told them, I'm telling you this so you will pray and not faint. And I, I cannot think of a sport in which a team cannot win without both offense and defense. Except the Royals yesterday whose uh, defense never showed up and the offense came to win the day. Good for them. I need the offense of a, of a persistent prayer life that prepares me constantly for whatever I'm going to face. I need persistent prayer to build up that defense from the, the fiery darts of the wicked, the Bible says. I need that. Charles Simeon was a, a pastor in Cambridge, England from 1782 to 1836. For 50, 54 years he pastored that church. His friend, uh, T. Hausman, visited him for several months, and this is what he observed about Charles Simeon, the pastor. He said, never did I see such consistency and reality of devotion, such warmth of piety and zeal and love. Invariably, he arose every morning, though it was the winter season, at four o'clock, and after lighting his fire, he devoted the first four hours of the day to private prayer and the devotional study of the Scriptures. Here was a secret of his great grace and spiritual strength. Deriving instruction from such a source and seeking it with such diligence, he was comforted in all his trials and prepared for every duty. I almost feel guilty uh, reading, let alone quoting to you, these great spiritual giants that prayed for four to six hours every morning. And I have trouble mustering 40 to 60 minutes or maybe four to six minutes. Four hours. My needs list isn't even that long. But that's the kind of persistent prayer I think Jesus was talking about with his disciples. This kind can't come out. I'm going to use a phrase I don't like using, but he wanted his disciples to be prayed up. Please understand what I'm trying to say. Rather, I, I think the disciples had prayed in that, they, they prayed in that moment, they prayed at the crisis moment, whereas Jesus, we read regularly, he, 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 he stayed up all night long in prayer to the Father because He depended upon that, that communication with His Father, all night long. I want to read one more um, brief passage this morning. Uh, skip over to verse um, 38 of Mark chapter 9. The reason I'm, I, I'm coming back to this passage in between next week, but the reason I skipped over here is it also had to do with casting out demons, but it adds something to our discussion about discipling, being a disciple. John said to him, Teacher, 
we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Now, remember, the disciples had just tried to cast out demons, and they couldn't. Maybe a bit of jealousy here. <laughs> we can't do it, but he's done it, and so we tried to stop him. And Jesus said, don't stop him. No one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Kind of a long way of saying he's on our side, guys. For the one who is not against us is for us. Truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of cold water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Jesus is saying if someone treats you kindly as a Christian because you're a Christian, he won't lose his reward, which means he has one. Um, this is kind of the flip side of what Jesus said earlier. Um, here, what Jesus is teaching his disciples is that a disciple trusts his spirit's work, Jesus' spirit. It trusts that Jesus' spirit, as it were, is at work and lets God have control of things. By the way, who, who, who do you think this other person was casting out demons? Entirely speculation, we don't know. Could have been one of John the Baptist's disciples. Could have been one of those 70 that Jesus sent out. and He, he didn't regularly hang around the 12, so he's not one of us. Obviously, he had met Jesus someplace and believed and was apparently, effectively, casting out demons. Jesus said, don't stop him. Clark's commentary by now is quite ancient, but Clark wrote, nevertheless, there are some who are so outrageously wedded to their own creed and religious system, they would rather let sinners perish than allow those who differ from them to be the instruments of their salvation. Even the good that is done, they either deny or, suspe or suspect because the person does not follow them. This is vanity and an evil disease. Thank you, Adam Clark. In Matthew, Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. And now the flip side of that coin, the one who is not against us is for us. If they give you a cup of cold water because you're serving Christ, they're honoring you. They're, they're on our side. They're saying, way to go. We're with you. Let's, let's wrap up this morning. You know, sometimes it, it looks like I'm looking out at you, but there's a great big mirror planted right here, and I can't see beyond it. The Lord's been challenging me about my walk as a disciple this week. I've been a Christian for most of my life. I hope a disciple. Most of, but, but I don't believe we reach a point at which, okay, I'm a disciple. Now I need to move on to another, uh, an, another area now of being able to disciple others. No, I keep growing as a disciple. Please keep growing as a disciple. 
Not till you stand before the Lord is it done. So I've been challenged. A Jesus' disciple walks by faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I hope that's on your lips this morning. I believe. I've come to this point, but I'm not perfect. And I, Lord, I still need help. Jesus' disciple invests in prayer, unhindered communion with God. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. 24-7, having that, having that ability to face anything at any time because I've been in communion with God constantly. I don't have to, a quickie prayer at the moment. And Jesus' disciple trusts in His Spirit's work, a humble acknowledgement of others who are also loving Jesus and working on the same side. How, how are you doing as a disciple? I, I hope everyone in this room this morning has made it to the first step, that first you believe who Jesus is, you trust Him, He's your Savior. If not, talk to someone you came with or talk to us. We'll help you make that decision. And from that point on, you begin growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for your, your kindness, your patience. Thank you for Jesus' expression of compassion toward this Father and, and Lord towards us. You've, you've spoken to me this week. And I pray this message would not be lost on any of us. That we grow in our faith and be stretched in our faith. We grow in our prayer life, of communing with you constantly. And we just grow to understand the kingdom is much larger than my little corner of it. Lord, I praise you for all these things that you taught and that we can learn by, by reading, by understanding these examples Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this earth, for being that, that extreme example and servant for us, a servant who went to the cross to pay for our salvation. We give you praise, Father, for all of that. In Jesus' name I pray.